Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Well, again, last week we began our fall, uh, new year. Uh, we, We had our kickoff Sunday and we introduced the fact that our theme this year is that God is on the move. And we've used the analogy of, like it says in John chapter three, uh, verse eight, Jesus says that somebody becoming born again is like the wind of God's spirit blowing. You don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, but you see the effects of it. And we believe that God is on the move today too. And he's on the move here at the chapel. And I I really can't explain why. I can't tell you how. It's not necessarily something that's because of us or what we're doing as a strategy or a methodology. There isn't anything like that. But we do try to lift up God's word and exalt Jesus Christ and encourage people to have a personal encounter with him. And God seems to be blessing that. In our weakness, his power is revealed. And we want to give thanks and glory to God for that. As we do so often here at the chapel, we want to just review some things about why we're doing what we do as a church, and especially as it relates to this idea of God being on the move. And so for last week and this week and three weeks to come, we're going to be going with this idea of going with the flow and thinking about the moving of God's spirit in our lives. How does the spirit of God work in our lives? Now, it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is not the projection of your mind in some religious sense. It's not just some sort of attitude or um, an environment that we have. It's not a force. It's a, it's a person. The Spirit of God is a person. And so as we see in Scripture, he thinks and he acts and he's worshiped and he can be, you know, grieved and, and he has the emotions and the, the, the sense of acting and working as a person. And not only that, he's also divine. He's deity as well. He's, he's worshiped as God. He does the works of God. He's called God and he can be sinned against like God. And so we see in scripture that even though whenever the Holy Spirit is referred to, it's referred to with a neuter pronoun and that uh, neuter nouns, that's the idea of a, a thing, not a person. And yet it's very clear that it is a person. It's being treated as a person. It's being treated as God. He is, the Spirit of God is. And so we worship him and we honor him along with the Father and along with the Son. God, our holy, our holy God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we honor him as a three, one God in three persons as, as well. And we're focusing on, for these several weeks, the work and movement of the Holy Spirit in our midst as well. Now, last week we talked about the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who needs to come into our lives and make us born again. He's the one that regenerates us. He's the one that takes people who are spiritually dead and makes them alive by causing them to be born again. It's a spiritual dynamic. It's not just someone joining an a, a organization or taking a class and receiving a certificate of completion. Uh, it's not someone getting a performance trophy, participation trophy, and saying, oh, now you're part of the family of God. It is a, it is a living 
moving dynamic of God's Spirit coming inside a human being and changing them from the inside out. God's own powerful, holy presence living inside of us. And that's what makes us brand new people and causes us to be born again. And Jesus says, you must be born again. It's, it's not optional. You can't know God without being born again. You can't serve God without being born again. You can't experience what God can do through your life without being born again. It's, a, it's this personal dynamic relationship with the living God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. The second thing that we're focusing on today as an extension of this idea of being born again is just growing in our relationship with God and experiencing his plan for our lives. And so we call this idea of engaging with the word of God or, or, or thinking about filling our minds with God's truth, with his word. And, and the Holy Spirit is powerfully involved in helping us understand the word of God. In fact, the Holy Spirit's job is to transform your life and mine through the word of God. He's like a, a holy spotlight that shines upon the truth of God's word in the Bible, and then it reflects and it transforms us in the process. On the pages of this book, we see Jesus Christ. And the more we see him, and the more we look at that and gaze upon that and stare upon that, the more our lives are transformed and made brand new. We become like Jesus in the process. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is turn to the, the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And this is going to be on page 953 if you'd like to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, page 953. And I'd like you just to read along as we read this morning. Now, let me just set the stage a little bit before we start reading. This book was written around 50 AD or so, around 20 years or so after Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's, it's early in the history of the, the brand new church, and this is a group of Christians that lived in ancient Greece, and they lived in a town called Corinth that was kind of like someone said, New York City and Las Vegas and Los Angeles rolled into one. It was a real happening place. It was a place of great learning, great, great uh, financial institutions, but it was a place of great decadence and wickedness and immorality as well. It was a trading city where uh, a lot of ships would come in and go out and there were inland routes and so there just were all kinds of people flowing in and out of Corinth. It was a place of great learning and great sophistication. And the people who had become followers of Christ in that town carried over so many of the attitudes of their culture, the, the pride and the, the sense of status and sophistication, and they judged one another. I'm wealthier than you, so I'm better. I have had more ecstatic experiences and, and exciting spiritual thrilling experiences and I'm better than you spiritually because of that or, or I'm more religious than you and I'm better than you because of that. And so they ranked one another and they, they played favorites. They had a pecking order in the church and there were rivalries and arguments in the church as well. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to them, even though he had gotten this church started, they, they were, 
You would think that they would be very grateful to him and have a great loving loyalty for him. They actually questioned Paul's authority. They actually questioned his ability and right to lead them and speak to them for God. And, and they had these rivalries and political parties in the church, factions in the church that fought against each other. And what he does is at the beginning of this letter, he challenges them. You know, the problem is it's the kind of wisdom you're living by. You're using the wisdom of the world where pride and power and success and beauty, those are the measurements of who is great and who is worthy and who is worthwhile and who is blessed by God. Those are the standards of the world that we live in. Power, money, popularity, those things are the, are the wisdom of the world. But I'm trying to tell you that when you came to Jesus Christ and you were born again and you became brand new, it's not about power, it's not about money, it's not about sex appeal, it's not about beauty, it's not about popularity, it's about a different kind of wisdom, the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God focuses on Jesus Christ. He's a crucified Messiah. And even though our culture says what a shameful, horrible, humiliating thing, he is the ultimate expression of the power of God and the wisdom of God and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the beauty and holiness and redemption of God. It's all found in Christ. And he's calling the Corinthians to shift their thinking about what true wisdom is. And in the process, he challenges them to approach the Word of God with a different kind of attitude. And the way he challenges them is to understand that you can't get this wisdom and you can't unlock this book and grasp it unless you're willing to let God's Spirit unlock it for you. God's Word is unlocked by God's Spirit. And so no matter how intelligent you are, whether you like to read or not, whether you have studied the Scripture for years and years and years, or whether this is brand new to you, this business of reading the Word of God and trying to learn what it says, the only thing that will unlock this book and help you understand it is God's Spirit. And so I want to show you how God's Spirit can unlock the Word of God for you today and help you learn and grow and understand it. Okay, let's read. First Corinthians chapter two, verse six. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not, excuse me, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. God's Spirit unlocks God's Word, and I'm so thankful that it does, that He does unlock the Word of God for us, because the Word of God is very difficult to understand. The Word of God is complicated. The Word of God is hard. There's so much figurative language, and there's literal language that's still difficult to grasp, and there's history, and there's prophecy, and there's all these other things about it, literarily about the, the Word of God that make it a very complex, difficult book to grasp. And my experience with people is, is that they would rather not read the Word of God. They want to hear about the Word of God. They, they, would, they don't want to have devotions where they're reading the Scriptures and applying it to their lives and praying over it. They'd rather listen to worship music. Now, there's nothing wrong with worship music. It's a great blessing. But there's no substitute for the power and the, the change that can be brought into our lives from the Word of God. You can't substitute anything else for it. We need to be people that are grounding our lives based on what this book has to say. Now, there's several reasons why the Word of God is so difficult as pointed out in this passage. The first reason why the Word of God is so difficult is it's just flat out countercultural. It's countercultural. You could even say it's kind of hostile to the culture that we live in, and this is why people struggle with it. It, it, it contradicts the attitudes and opinions of the world that we live in. It contradicts what our government teaches or what the, the, the media teaches us, what Hollywood says, the values of the world that we live in. It contradicts that, it opposes that, and challenges us to live and think a different way. And I think we need to be honest and say that one of the reasons why we struggle to read and study the Word of God and apply it to our lives is that we're definitely going against the flow of the world that we live in when we apply the teachings of this book to our lives. That's one of the reasons why it's very, very difficult. Look what he says in verse six. Paul has just said in verses one through five, we're preaching to you a wisdom of, Christ, of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's our message, not the pride and philosophy of the world that we live in. And I, I did this humbly depending upon Christ. And then in verse six he says, yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom. Now the mature are the people who receive the word of God who are believers in Christ. They're not some sort of super spiritual elite who have a wisdom that other Christians don't. It's anyone who's trusted Christ and is receiving the word of God. They're considered the mature people here. Now he makes it clear that he's not using the philosophy of this age or the philosophy that's espoused and taught by the rulers of this age. The, the, the powerful people, whether they be in an official position of uh, academia or in government or in the media or in the arts and sciences or in medicine, they, it is the wisdom that comes from God, not the rulers of this age, not the philosophy of this age. It's, it's a wisdom that comes from God. He says that it's a secret and hidden wisdom. 
It's a wisdom which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory is Jesus. And what he's trying to say here is that when God began revealing his truth through the prophets, we read about it in the Old Testament, when he began declaring his truth through the the apostles, Paul, Peter, John, the other followers of Jesus, when he was declaring his truth through the, the words of Jesus himself, the world reacted to it. The world resisted it. In fact, someone wisely observed that there's a great honor, a great irony about the message of the Bible and the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, the best religion of the world opposed him. The greatest government that had ever been at, up to that time crucified him. Both Judaism and Rome the best of their worlds, resisted Jesus Christ and nailed him to a cross. They rejected him, and they rejected the message that he was declaring through his own life and through the pages of this book. One of the reasons why it is so difficult to get into the Word of God and to study the Scriptures is because you're doing something that's counterculture. You're doing something that's even hostile to the world that we live in. Because ultimately, it will lead you and I to love and be loyal to Jesus Christ above everything else. To love him more than our country, to love him more than our own safety, to love him more than our own families. To love him above everything else. What does God require? That we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And how do we get along with other people? What does God require? To love our neighbor as ourselves. He's making an incredible demand upon our lives. And that's one of the reasons why it's very difficult to study this book. Because the more you learn, the more you realize that you've got to go against the grain. We have to go against the grain of this world and the authorities of this culture that we live in. There's a natural hostility in the world and the environment around us. It opposes what this book says. And we have to accept that and understand that as well. Now, the thing that's very interesting is that God's spirit reveals to us the grace of God. And so even though there's this natural hostility, God wants to forgive us and God wants to accept us and he wants us to become part of his family. If you jump down to verse 12, it simply says this, we've received not the spirit of this world that's hostile to God. That's not what's motivating us. Rather, we have received the spirit who is from God. He is literally the out from God one. He comes from God himself. That's why we say it's not something generated by our minds or our collective consciousness as a people or religious followers. It's something that comes directly from God himself. The Holy Spirit is. He is the one who comes from God. He is God's personal presence. And he comes in order that we might understand the things that have been freely given to us by God. The things that God has graciously given to us. You might be thinking, is it worth it to really live my life according to what the Word of God says? Is it worth it? 
to go against the grain of this culture? Is it worth it to apply the word of God to my life even though it will lead to hostility and opposition and resistance against me? Is it really worth it? And the answer is yes, because of all the things that God graciously gives to us. What has he graciously given us? Again, looking at the context, if we go back uh, into chapter three, uh, chapter one, excuse me, at the very end of the chapter, he's challenging us, challenging his readers and challenging us, don't boast in yourself and don't boast in your culture and don't boast in your achievements. Rather, boast in Jesus Christ. He's the greatest thing, the greatest person, the greatest idea and philosophy to be excited about. Why? Look at verse 30. He says right there, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us or to us the wisdom of God. And then he explains what this wisdom of God is. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Those are three big theology words that sum up everything that Jesus Christ does for the person that trusts in him. The person who's willing to go against the grain and follow him according to what the word of God says. When he talks about righteousness, he means to be accepted by God, to be forgiven and welcomed into his family. Jesus Christ provides a new relationship with God. He's able to wash away your sins and he's able to forgive you and accept you into the family of God. Who doesn't want that? And then it says, not only that, he provides sanctification. That means he makes you holy. He not only wipes away your filthy record, your, 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 your rap sheet, your, your list of charges and offenses against God, he not only wipes away that, he not only gives you a clean record, expunges your record, he not only does that, but he actually makes you holy in your practice and in your thinking and in your lifestyle. He transforms us. We kind of get the idea that holiness is something that sounds musty and dusty. Uh, not much fun. But are you kidding me? It is the most fun of all to become more and more like God. To be set free from the power of sin in our lives. And to be transformed. In fact, he expounds on that even further because he says that Jesus Christ brings redemption. Redemption means paying a price to set someone free. He has done that through his death. He brings us the ultimate freedom. Freedom to be everything that he created us to be. Freedom from our shame. Freedom from our guilt. Freedom from our fears and anxieties. Freedom from our past. Freedom from the baggage of our hurts and pain. Free to be everything that he means us to be. To reach our full potential in Christ. So it's worth it to go against the grain to embrace what the Word of God says, even though it's difficult, even though it's painful, even though there's hostility that resists us. It's right to live our lives this way, according to the teachings of Scripture, even though it's countercultural, because of what it brings. It brings us Jesus, it leads us to Jesus. And he's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. He's everything that we're looking for. It's in Jesus. And this word will bring you to Jesus. He's everything you need. So let's be honest. 
One of the reasons why it's hard to read the Word of God, why it's difficult to study the Word of God, why we're so easily, I'm so easily distracted from studying the Word of God and really not only reading it and studying it, but then applying it, why it's so difficult to apply the Word of God, is that it leads us to go against the grain of this culture that's hostile to God. But God's Spirit is there to show us the things that we have graciously received from God, the things we're really longing for and looking for. Another reason why the Word of God is just hard to study and understand and apply, it's already mentioned in these same verses that we've just read. It's not only countercultural, but it's just downright mysterious. It's, It's humanly unknowable. And it requires that God reveal it to us. If we're going to know the word of God, it has to be revealed to us. What we have on the pages of this book is not a group of novelists who got together or essay writers or how-to manual authors. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring 40 different individuals to take pen to paper and write these words down, and then he miraculously preserved those words so that they are passed down to us so that you and I can have a copy of this book in a language that we understand so we can read it and use our minds and feel it in our hearts and pray to the Holy Spirit, to Almighty God, to send his presence to teach us, his spirit to teach us and empower us to put this word, this truth into action but it's humanly unknowable. Unless God steps in and reveals it to us, we won't know it. Let me explain what I mean by this. It says in this passage very clearly that God, in verse seven, we're imparting a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. God's Spirit has taken the truth of God, even the very deepest thoughts of God, the most mysterious and unknowable things of God, God's Spirit has brought them to us. And he did that through the process of inspiration. He breathed out the Word of God to the writers who put it down on paper for us to understand and apply today with the Spirit's help. God orchestrated all that. He made it happen. He did it so that we would know God's truth and be transformed in the process. He uses an analogy from Greek philosophy. He says, like has to know like. Like is only known by like. If you're like something, then you can understand something that's like you. And he says it in this way. For who knows, verse 11, who who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him? Who, Who can really know what's going on inside your mind right now? Who can know what's really going on in your thoughts and your feelings? Who really knows that and understands that? Why, it's you, of course. You're the only only one that really knows what's going on inside your head. Your wife might try to read your mind. 
You know, a friend might look at you and say, "Eh, I can tell you're bothered by something, but they really don't know what's going on. You're awfully quiet. Is there something? You thinking about something? You worried about something? Something, did somebody offend you, hurt you? You know, they can see outward expression from your body language and your visage. You can, they can see that there's something there that's not quite right or something you're thinking about. Maybe you wear your emotions on your sleeve, but either way, they don't know what's really going on inside. Only you do. Who knows what God is really thinking? Who knows what God is really understanding? Who knows what God's plans are? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So if we're going to know what God is really thinking, then we need God's Spirit. And God's Spirit has revealed the Word of God to this to us. Now, he says in verse 12, we've not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What Paul is saying, not only did God reveal his word to us through the Holy Spirit, but he's helping us, us apostles, me, Paul and people like Peter and John and James. He's communicating to us. The evangelists like Barnabas and Apollos, we're communicating the word of God to you and we're relying on God's power to help us do it so that we express it in a way that's clear, practical, and understandable with the boldness and persuasion we need to do it as well. In other words, what he's trying to say is even though it's mysterious, Even though the word of God is hidden, even though the word of God is unknowable by human beings, God is at work in trying to make it clear to us. He's revealing it to us so we can apply it to our lives. He doesn't want us to stay in the dark anymore. He he wants the fog to lift, the spiritual fog to lift in our lives. And that's why the sunshine of his, his revelation, his inspiration is shining down upon us so that we grasp and understand what's in the Word of God. You might be thinking, but wait a minute. When I approach the Bible, I can read it like any other book. I can diagram the sentences. I can study the plot line. I can look at the literary analogies. I can do all this investigative stuff. I can observe, interpret, apply. I can do all these things to try to learn what the Bible says. Can I figure it out for myself? And the answer is no. Unless God helps you, you will not understand it and apply it. It's like this. Okay, let's suppose Aunt Matilda bakes a beautiful layer cake and covers it with icing, and and there it is on a platter, this beautiful, delicious, sugary, calorie-laden sweetness concoction, this beautiful cake that she's baked and decorated for us, okay? Let's say Aunt Matilda takes her cake down to the local university and sets it on a table there in the faculty break room, and there is a physicist, there is a chemist, there is a mathematician, and there's a nutritionist sitting there looking at that cake. Let's just imagine this for a minute, and there's Aunt Matilda sitting there, and she just invites these folks that are sitting there, what do you see? And so, you know, the chemist is looking at it and says, well, you know, I can tell that by the compound, maybe they even take a slice and they eat it and some stuff like that, maybe even take it for analysis. Well, I can tell you, you know, it's this much fat and this much sugar and here's the caloric count and all this kind of stuff and that's what's, you know, here are the the molecules and the, the chemical reactions that took place to make this cake occur. 
And then the nutritionist is looking at it and say, well, I can tell you that, you know, there's this much fat and there's the, you know, you're going to have this many calories and it's going to take this much exercise to burn off that gigantic slice you just ate. And, you know, there's all these kinds of things and do that. And then, and then there's the physicist who says, who says, well, I can tell you that the reason why the icing is as thick as it is is because there's this reaction that's going on among the particles and the different compounds that were put together to make that icing and how it's able to have that little curl and it has that color and it's, you know, the chemical and the particle composition of it. And then there's the mathematician who looks at all that and he can probably come up with a formula that explains why those particles work the way they do to make that cake. And then Aunt Matilda asks this question, but do you know why I made it? And none of those learned individuals can explain why it was made. They can tell you what it is. They can tell you what they see. They can explain what they observe. They can maybe even conjecture its purpose, but they really don't know why. And there's Aunt Matilda sitting there with a big grin. She knows why. She made the cake. And unless she reveals it, no one knows. God has created this beautiful world, and we see its beauty, its glory, its majesty, and it, 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 it just moves us to tears when we see things that are so beautiful. It terrifies us when we see something like the, the, the powerful hurricane coming ashore and the flooding and wind destruction. It calms us when we see the stars at night and we see a beautiful sunset or a sunrise or the sound of the crickets and we hear all of that and we see all of that and it moves us, but it doesn't tell us why. We read the word of God and I can tell you all the events, I can tell you all the facts, I can show all these things to you, but I don't know, you don't know why. I don't know why unless God reveals it to us. It was an interesting re interview with uh, the screenwriter Judd Apatow, and he was interviewed in the uh, New York Times Sunday Magazine, the Sunday Book Review. And as he was being interviewed in that, they were questioning him, you know, what books are currently on your nightstand, and what's your favorite novelist of all time, and what books would we be surprised to find on your shelves? And he gave all this kind of information, that kind of stuff. But then they asked him, disappointing, overrated, and just not good. Disappointing, overrated, and just not good. What book do you feel you were supposed to like but didn't? Do you remember the last book you put down without finishing? And Apato replied, the Bible, it's just not working for me. I wish it was. Wouldn't it be great if it did work for me and I had the peace one gets when knowing the universe is just and kind and guided by eternal intelligence? Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. Well, you know, if you're just reading with human ability and human resources and a human mindset, human rational thought and logic, that's what you'll come up with. The Bible doesn't make any sense. But if you read it and your heart is open and you're allowing God's revelation to touch you and his inspiration to touch you as you read that book, then truly you will grasp and understand what's being said there. So even though it's mysterious, God can lift the curtain and turn on the lights so that you understand and know the word of God. So already we've seen two things that make it hard to read the word of God. One is that it's kind of hostile, seriously hostile, Countercultural, 
to the world that we live in. And we need to accept that and understand that it's going to lead us to go against the grain. But the Spirit can help me apply the things that have been given to me in Christ because that's the better life to follow Jesus, not the culture. And we also have seen that the Word of God is mysterious. It's, it's humanly unknowable unless God has revealed it to us and helps us apply it. And so we have to embrace that and accept that as well. But there's a third reason why the Bible's difficult to read. And I'm not sure that this is the best word, but it's one that works for me. It's, it's this, the Bible's adventurous. The Bible's not predictable. The Bible reveals a plan and purpose for your life that's worth investigating. And it's not something that just lies on the surface. It's something that requires digging and wrestling with and asking questions and praying about and trying on and seeing if it really touches your life. It, it just requires that kind of work to really discover what's God's purpose and plan for your life. But the Bible reveals that. In verse 9, he says this, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's important to remember. God has prepared something for you when you love him. He's prepared a wonderful plan, a wonderful purpose for your life. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to discover that? But it requires exploration. It requires a willingness to wrestle with the words of Scripture. And it requires praying over the Scripture. It requires meditating and thinking and pondering what the Scripture says to really grasp God's plan and purpose for your life. Not only that, he says, these things have been revealed to us through the Spirit. Then in verse 12, he says this rather emphatically. We have now received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And in the original language, it's emphatic. It starts off with we. The beginning of the verse begins, we are different than the world that we live in. We have been given God's spirit. God's spirit has been given to us. We've received it, not this world. We've received this Holy Spirit. And then as he works his way through the verse, we've received the Spirit of God who shows us the things freely given by God to us. And there we are at the end of the verse. And it's like these two bookends in verse 12. We've received the Holy Spirit and God has given these things to us. And it's emphatic that God has a plan for us. It's not just God has a plan, but God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for the world we live in, but he has a purpose for you and for me. And we can know that purpose as we explore the word of God and study it and apply it to our lives. It's a beautiful, mysterious, and powerful plan and purpose. But as we take the time and wrestle with scripture, we understand it. And God's spirit shows how it applies to us. How does he do that? Well, remember, he gave the word of God through inspiration. He helps us understand the word of God by illumination. This is the second big work of God's spirit. Through illumination, he turns on the lights, he lifts the fog, he raises the curtain so that we can grasp and understand what God is saying. 
I don't know about you, but have you ever bought toys for your kids or, or maybe a, a piece of furniture and you have to assemble it? Oh, joy. Okay? Oh, joy. So there you are. You've got, you've got the box open and you're pulling out all the pieces and you've got everything set out on the floor and you've got your tools and you've got this little bag of screws and clips and you know, brackets and all this kind of stuff and you pull out the diagram and the assembly instructions and very clearly it was not written by somebody that speaks English. And they're, you're reading it and you're trying to explain, you know, this screw A goes into slot B and this turns here and this clips there and you do that and you're starting to put it together and you look at the pictures, it doesn't look anything like that. It's so confusing. But what if the engineer, what if the designer were sitting there with you and say, you know, there's an easier way to do this. If we just put these two pieces together and then here you gotta get another person to help you hold these pieces together and then you put this and you can do that. What if the author was right there to guide you? What if the master chef was right there to help you as you're putting that meal together and you're following the recipe? What if you're reading this history and the novelist or the, the, the author, the historian came alongside and filled in a little bit of the backstory? What if that novelist just was even kind of giving you a little deeper understanding of the plot line and gave you a little richer character development? Can you imagine how much fun that would be? How enjoyable that would be as you're reading something? It would just go smoother, it would go easier. You'd get a fuller picture of what's going on. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book and he wants to tutor us and mentor us and help us. He's the illuminator, the great illuminator who turns on the lights to help us see and understand God's word. And a lot of times when we struggle with, I still don't get it, it's because it takes more time. I still don't get it, it's because we're not giving concentrated attention. I still don't get it because maybe I'm just trying to figure it out myself instead of really letting God's spirit teach me. And yet God wants us to understand his word. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us apply it to our lives. But there's one more reason why God's word is so difficult to understand. Yes, it's mysterious. Yes, it's countercultural. Yes, it's adventurous. It's about changing me and maybe I don't want to be changed. Maybe I don't want to discover my purpose for life. Maybe I'm happy the way I am and I have to go against that. But there's one last thing, and we see this in verses 14 through 16. He says the natural person, the soulish person, the person who is just like everybody else in this world, not a follower of Jesus, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they're foolish to him, they're silly, don't make any sense to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things. He discerns all things, but he himself is discerned by no one. In other words, the person that has God's spirit, who's illuminated by God's spirit, is following God's spirit, that person, he's starting to get, she's starting to get and comprehend what the word of God says. And as they begin living their life that way, other people look at them and say, I don't get you. <laughs> I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. How come you're so happy? How come even though this is such a terrifying situation, you have such peace? How come you're not willing to cut corners and cheat and fudge the records for your own advantage? How come you're, you're living so morally? How come you're waiting to have sex? How come you're, you're actually giving to charity? How come you forgave that person who hurt you? 
How come even though you're on this business trip and a thousand miles away from home, you're still being faithful and true to your wife? How come you're living this way? It's because of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and they don't get it. They don't understand it. But as you read the Word of God, the Spirit of God is teaching you and showing you. And here's the bottom line, verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so to instruct him? That's another quotation from the Old Testament. Who gets God? Who understands God? Who discerns God? And the implied answer is no one. No one humanly on their own can understand God and comprehend Him. But look what he says at the end of verse 16. But we have the mind of Christ. The more you read this book, the more you allow God's Spirit to teach you, you will gain the mind of Christ. You will think like Christ. You will have His mindset. His way of looking at this world, His attitude, yes. His perspective, it will change you. You see, the fourth reason why studying the Bible and reading the Bible and applying the Bible is so hard is is it will transform you. And we naturally resist that. But that's the goal of this book. We've had people who've come to the chapel and they really liked it when we talked about, you know, how to be a good parent and how to be a better married person, how to handle your money. And they they like that practical kind of teaching. We've had people tell us that. That was so beneficial. That was so practical. When we talked about Christ and how to receive God's forgiveness and how to be a member of God's family and how to forgive other people for Christ's sake, they didn't like that. They stopped coming. They told us that. Kind of like that practical stuff, that how-to stuff. But my relationship with God, I'm not so worried about. I just want to be a better mom or a better dad or get my financial house in order. That's not the goal of the Christian life, to be a better mom or dad or to have your financial house in order or to be a better employee or be happy. That's not the goal of the Christian life. That's not the goal of the Word of God. The goal of reading and studying the Word of God is to become like Jesus, to be transformed and made like Him. And the thing is, for the Corinthians, as they become like Christ and as they have the mind of Christ, you know what they're going to do? They're going to humbly serve one another. They're going to forgive each other. And instead of having rivalries and letting pride interrupt their relationships and disrupt their church, instead of boasting and claiming and exalting themselves over each other, they're going to humbly serve one another. They're going to sacrifice for each other. The rich are going to care for the poor and the poor are going to love the rich and and, and the men and the women will treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And they'll understand that together they bring glory to God and they serve Him and they do this because they have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit will point you to Christ always. And you will see Jesus on every page of this book. Yes, that's a hyperbole. But from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is exalted in Scripture because He's our only hope. That crucified Messiah is the one who is the Lord of glory. He's the one who will bring glory to you and exalt you when we trust in Him. You see, 
The Bible's hard to read because it's hostile to our culture and it's mysterious, and so God reveals it to us by inspiration. But it also touches us personally, and it's hard on a personal level as well. It's hard because, yes, God's revealing his purpose for our lives, and I can't just do whatever I want to do. I need to follow what he wants me to do. And beyond that, it transforms me. It makes me like Jesus, and I naturally resist that as well. But God gives us the Holy Spirit to illuminate us so that we really are transformed and become like Jesus because there's no better way to live. It's following Christ. It's becoming like Him. The Word of God will shape you and mold you and guide you in this. And I hope you can see that the Spirit is all about the Word of God. And He, the Spirit of God, unlocks the Word of God for us. If you're struggling to understand the Scripture, have you come to the place in your life where you're saying, maybe I'm not a good reader? By the way, listening is the new reading, according to scholars. There's so many books, podcasts, sermons on audio. Listen, just listen. Just rewind and listen. Back up and listen. And some of us are better learners with our audio capabilities than with our visual capabilities. So be a better listener. Make the time to listen to what the Scripture says if you struggle with reading. But in all of this, God is speaking. Do you hear what He says? Are you making time, pausing to reflect on what God says? God's Spirit will help you apply the Word of God if you're willing to listen to what He says because God's Spirit unlocks God's Word. Okay? So this week when you get your bulletin, there's the Engage Study Guide on the bulletin, okay, that little half sheet of paper. And I just want to suggest to you that if you don't already have a plan for reading the Scriptures, consider taking that passage, looking it up in your Bible, and just kind of working and thinking your way through the questions. You can write it down, you can think about it, maybe talk about it as a family. Come up with your own set of questions. If you don't like those, that's fine. But engage the Scripture, pause and reflect, and let the Holy Spirit teach you God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time that we could be together this morning, and I thank you for your blessings, and I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you, Lord, that you are in control. Thank you for speaking to us and revealing yourself to us through the pages of your word. And I ask that, Holy Spirit, we do say you are welcome here, and we pray that you would teach us, help us to have a heart that's humble and open to hear what you have to say. I ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.